Welcome back to another episode of Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. My name is Randy Ray. I am the Director of Broadcast Engineering on the campus of West Texas A&M, and I am once again honored to welcome back the 11th President of West Texas A&M, Dr. Walter Windler. Thanks, Randy. It's good to be here, as always. Well, we are winding down. We Uh, are. The semester is coming to a close. What are some highlights you think of this last semester? Well, one of them, to be certain, uh, and I wouldn't always talk about this first, but the uh, the ending of our longstanding tradition at uh, Kimbrough is a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, and um, I think it's really important that we, as we move the football program onto the campus, I think people will be able to enjoy it a little bit more easily. Um, and I think it's going to be a very important magnet on uh, on Saturdays. Um, I can imagine the various colleges opening up um, one or two times during the fall to have open houses and, uh, you know, invite in alumni and so on. And I know uh, here in uh, Fine Arts and Humanities, with a marching band housed here, uh, that's been an important part of uh, the tradition of uh, Kimbrough. And I, I think it's just a... I'm looking forward to next year. I don't know what it's going to be like, mm-hmm. but it's going to be, I know this, it is going to be different. It will be different. It, that, that was the thing I thought about on, at our last game out of Kimbrough. It was kind of bittersweet to me. It was a sad time, but yet it's a happy time as well. I think so too. And I've even had, you know, for two, not for two years, for over a year, we looked at and studied and made sure that we understood the kind of costs and benefits of uh, moving um, from the off-campus stadium to on-campus because there was a lot of discussion and consternation over that. And I'm, I believe when people see it, this new stadium, and experience a game or two there, they're going to say, we should have done this 10 years ago because it's going to be such a different kind of experience. My, my uh, thankfulness in all of this is we have an excellent university here with programs that are responsive to many forces most important of, to me of those forces is the top 26 counties of uh, Texas and the people of the Texas Panhandle. And we never have to apologize for that. We've got an excellent um, university here. And I want people, when they come for something like a football game, to be able to uh, get a sense of what the rest of the campus is about. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. I met a fellow, I won't say who it is, but uh, years ago, when I uh, when I first got here, almost three years ago now, and he told me, he said, the challenge with the football program and the stadium out there at Kimbrough, he said, you know, three, 4,000 people drive down to Canyon from Amarillo to watch a football game. Then they get in their cars and they drive back to Amarillo. Now there's a reason to come on campus. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, you can't watch a football game without coming on campus. And I, I just think that's going to be a, a special experience. And it really is in the middle of the campus. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think we get a sense of that when we have like the homecoming parade come through campus and just just that feeling of that entire day is so exciting. And we're going to be able to do that every game day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I had a person sit with me on um, at the last game. And he told me he played football here, but he finished his career in 58, which is before they even moved to Kimbrough. Mm. So he remembers the on-campus, and he said, I liked it, 
even in that yeah. old stadium we had that was you know not very nicely done and all that it was old and kind of falling apart a little bit like the edges of Kimbrough are now you yeah, know they, they, exactly. need, they need some attention but I'm absolutely convinced that uh, the uh, Canyon Independent School District is going to do a good job because you know the bond issue the the attention to the increasing needs of, of uh, the people of the city of Canyon and in fact Amarillo because there's a lot of the people that attend Canyon schools that actually live in the city limits of Amarillo. I, I just think it's uh, it's all going to be nicely worked out so that everybody wins. I agree. I want to shift gears a little bit here. I'm going to throw a question at you. you. You might not be ready for. You ready? I'm, I'm ready for anything. I dare you. Try and catch me. <laughs> Have you always wanted to be an administrator? No, not really. It happened along the way. I um, I achieved a dream uh, that started in about 1985 or six while I was on the faculty at Texas A&M. I thought it might be nice to be the dean of the College of Architecture there. I knew the dean. I worked closely with the various people in the college, and I thought that might be a nice thing to do. And I never really focused on. I focused on teaching, and I wanted to be a good teacher. Um, and and I don't mean to brag, but I was a good teacher. I've won a lot of awards, and I wrote a lot about teaching in studio environments, tutorial teaching, the difference between that and kind of didactic lecture teaching yeah. and so on. Uh, and then in 92, I became the dean, and I thought, gosh, this is a dream come true for me, and in some ways a life dream. I was a, I was a kid. That was 1992. It's now 2018. And um, I would have never at that time thought I would be a, a campus executive. But in a lot of ways, um, it's a little bit like being an architect, which is my discipline in this sense. I mean, what architects do is try to project into the future and meet a set of needs that exists in a client or a client's organization and put all that together in a way that works to serve the client's aspirations. University president does about the same thing, uh, except we're dealing with uh, human capital rather than bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. But I, 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 I'm challenged by it every day. I, I thank God every day that I have the opportunity to do this. And I, a question that is really even more amazing to me is, would I, did I always want to be an administrator in West Texas? I, I, I mean, I'd been to West Texas a couple of times I, back in the late 90s when I was working in the system offices because I was doing long-range planning. And I'd come up and see Russell. I worked on a regular, fairly regular basis with Barry Thompson. But I'd come up and see Russell Long, and I didn't think much of West Texas. I'd come in, do my little thing, and then go back to College Station. And now, now... This is the best job I've ever had and the best place I've ever lived. And I, I would have never predicted it, ever. Well, the panhandle gets in your blood, yeah, I think. it didn't take long for me. Yeah. Well, you, you, you spoke about working for the A&M system. On September 1st, 1990, uh, West Texas State University, which is the college that I attended, became West Texas A&M University. What, what do you think that that has done for WT? Well, I think it's been been very positive. And as I understand history, there was a move to try to get it associated with Texas Tech. But Texas Tech, this, I was told this, uh, was not that interested back in, I don't know, 90s, uh, 87 or 88 or something like that, in the late 80s, I'll say. And uh, Boone Pickens was the board chair, I think, at the time. 
maybe not at the time at, of the actual uh, affiliation that was created, but but uh, Pickens, I think, thought it was a good idea, and many of the other people on the board uh, thought it was a good idea. And I've, uh, as you know, I traveled around and visited uh, schools um, all over the top 26 counties of Texas, and the, the uh, superintendent at uh, Sunray had a West Texas State University degree on the wall and a West Texas A&M University. And I told him, man, that's really cool. He said, my wife graduated between or at the time of the change and her degree says West Texas State University and West Texas A&M University. So they have yeah. three different kinds of degrees all from within the period of time where the change. I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's been a good, I think it's a good change. Um, I'm, I, I think that, uh, we provide opportunities to Texas A&M that they otherwise wouldn't have because they're located on this on this ground up here that is nearly holy to me because of the history of it and the kind of what it's done in the natural resource environment, uh, petroleum industry, uh, cattle industry. There's just this. As I tell people, you go to Houston, you might as well be in Los Angeles. It's a it's a kind of a it's an international city in many ways. But if you want to see what West Texas is about, and in fact, what Texas is about, you need to go to Amarillo. That's mm -hmm. where you go. Not, not, not Houston or Dallas. Those are world cities. This is a Texas city, and it's still a Texas city. And I, I basically pray every day that it remains a Texas city. Yeah. It's got all the best of what Texas is in it, and, and some of the shortcomings, too. But it's got, it is Texas. It is, they're saying is the real Texas. Yeah. Amarillo is yep. the real Texas, and yep. I agree with that. Well, that's interesting. So we've talked about West Texas A&M. We've talked about West Texas State. Before that, it was West Texas Normal College. And we had a very famous uh, instructor here at that time. And after our break, we're going to talk to someone that's uh, going to tell us a little bit more about that famous instructor. We'll be back right after this. West Texas A&M University is... A student body that learns by doing and is always seeking opportunity. Talented and accomplished faculty that teach both in and out of the classroom. Programs that provide timeless information and meet the challenges of today's world. Facilities rich in technology as well as WT history. It's our alumni and donors that make the big difference and set us apart from other universities. With your support, WT will continue to award scholarships to deserving students and strengthen our programs, which means a better campus, more in-depth education, and a lasting cultural and economic impact on our region. Now is the time to strengthen connections support students, and open doors for tomorrow's leaders. Share your experience, share your heritage, share your pride. Welcome back to Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Walter Windler, and we have a special guest with us today. We are joined by Dr. Amy Von Lintel, who is an author, professor, and uh, has an interesting story to tell about some of her research. So, Amy, welcome. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for having me. And you pronounced my name right. So, kudos I, well, to you. Yeah, so you, at the end of the last segment, you mentioned this famous instructor yeah. who worked here. And what we're talking about is O'Keefe, Georgia O'Keefe. And um, what's nice about, I think also in the last segment, you said something about the panhandle getting into your blood. And that has been so true for me. I'm not from here. 
But um, when I moved here, I was studying things far afield from O'Keeffe and the Panhandle. And ever since I've lived, I started here in 2010, the projects have just pre like presented themselves. And so um, I'm now fully a scholar of, of modern and contemporary art of the Texas Panhandle. And I tend to find the artists that made their way here for a short time or a longer time and work on them. And O'Keeffe is one of them. She worked here from 1916 to 1918, so not super long, but she did a lot of work when she was here. And I've published one book on her watercolors because that's the medium she was working within when she worked at WT. She was also the head of the art department, but it was a department of one. Uh, however, it's she was very proud to be a faculty member at that time. She was a single woman. She wasn't being supported by her family, and she moved here for the job and did did well here. And the book that I'm working on right now that I'm really excited about is about her writings. So she um, wrote prolifically but privately, and her letters from Canyon, there's uh, several hundred of them. So I'm editing a volume on those letters that overlaps with World War I, and we really get a good sense of the home front in middle America during the war from those letters, as well as many other things. We learn about O'Keeffe's life, but also about life on the campus and what it was like for a, you know, a young professor here and how car culture started to pick up at that time. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff you can learn about. That. I mean, let me ask you this. I, when, when she lived in Canyon, she lived over on Fifth Avenue mm -hmm. in a home that was owned by Dr. Shirley. Mm -hmm. And she was not really accepted by the community. Right. I think that's more of a myth. I think there were certain people who she was um, a bit scandalous for, but others like Dr. Shirley had her back. And the president of the university at the time had her back, uh, Robert Bartow Cousins. So she, in her letters, we discover how many people were supporting her progressive ideas about teaching. And she wasn't teaching painting. She was teaching drawing and fashion design, which is kind of mm, interesting yeah. because she was dressed in a... All black most of the time. Yeah, yeah, progressive way at a time, you know, women were still wearing corsets and she was wearing flat shoes and dresses, but still... Uh, bringing in the modern woman to Canyon in the 1910s. Um, so, yes, I think she ran um, like crosswise with a few people, but I don't think she was rejected at all. Mm, I think she was actually beloved by her students. And is, is it true that when she was living in Canyon, she mostly painted in watercolors? Yes, is that, that is right? that is very true. She did a few oils. The uh, Panhandle Plains has one of her oils. And if you go over there and look at it, and it's actually been converted into a three-dimensional, touchable um, uh, image, I don't know if you'd call it an image, object for the visually impaired. So you can go over and mm. feel it. But it is one of her lumpiest paintings because <laughs> she hadn't gotten the oil down yet. And so it is something that you can actually feel. But for the most part, she did uh, over 100 watercolors. Yeah, my favorite one that she did is in the Amarillo Museum of Art. Which one? Uh, the, the train? train coming yes, into town. Yes. Yeah, and I, I you know, we one. still see the train coming into town, but here there were a lot less things to block her vision. And she watched that train come in and she would get on the train to go to Amarillo or she'd get on the train to go back to New York. Um, and the train was just a part of her life. And that is a very beautiful watercolor. Yeah, and one so of the too. things about Amoa, Amarillo Museum of Art that I'll plug is it's not always out, but they will always pull it out for anyone who wants to go see that no, work of yeah, art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about Georgia O'Keeffe. I'm going to throw you a curveball now. Oh, good. You ready? Maybe. You ready? <laughs> so 
I, I understand that you have written a little bit about Harry Potter. Yeah, oh gosh, so. you looked that up. Yeah, totally. I'll talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> so tell me about that. Okay. Are you a Harry Potter fan? I am a Harry Potter fan, but compared to the Harry Potter fans that I have gone to conferences with, I am very minimally a Harry <laughs> Potter fan. I've read the books. I've seen the movies. I find Harry Potter, and this is one thing that I got really interested in after attending the Southwest Popular Culture Conference in Albuquerque. There's like a Harry Potter section there, so all the fans congregate. They don't dress up yet, but um, yeah, it's a very interesting experience. But the leaders of that conference, their argument is that Harry Potter can be used pedagogically in really innovative ways. So we can teach about identity politics. We can teach about the article that or chapter that I wrote with a woman that I met at that conference is about um, the power of vision and images. And so you know how in Harry Potter, the images move. So I was thinking about like how that can be something that educates us about the power of images on screens, like our screens on our phone or our screens on computers. And um, one of the things I studied in graduate school is visual studies, not just art objects, but any kind of visual things, visual communication. So it gave me a way to kind of um, write theory through Harry Potter that students at the undergraduate level can approach. So... Yeah. yeah, very, very interesting. You are the author of two books already. Is that um, right? I am a co-author of a book on Robert Smithson in Texas. I am the author of the George O'Keefe Watercolors book. So and you're currently working on another one. Is that right? I'm working on two more. One is the writings book um, on O'Keefe's writings in Texas that has to do with World War One, And the other one is another co-authored volume with Dr. Bonnie Roos of the English Department. And like that panhandle gets in your blood thing uh, back in panhandle artists here. So we've discovered that abstract expressionist artists from mid-century New York, uh, women, were having trouble getting sales and gallery representation in New York. And they hooked up with a dealer in this area who had a huge network of students. And they started coming here and teaching and selling their art here. So it's Elaine de Kooning, Louise Nevelson, and Jean Reynal. The third is, is lesser known, but the other two are pretty well known among art circles. So we're tracking their Western experiences and their Western markets. And, you know, dry, like I'm just headed out on a road trip, uh, you know, coming up and we're going to go see some of the works in private collections that I have never seen that aren't published. And that's one of the things that we're tracking. Yeah, I think people don't realize that art is really a big part of our culture a here. A big part of our yeah, culture. Yeah, and uh, when you look at modern artists like Jack Sorensen or Kenneth Wyatt, yeah. I think they are a big part of the Texas Panhandle. And, right. and I, th I think when you look at the history of the Panhandle, it's bigger than most people realize. Well, what I think is interesting, you have um, Western art that is predominant here, but then you also have um, aspects of modern and contemporary art that have touched the panhandle, but people haven't recognized it. So in my field, there's an, a number of famous artists who traveled through here and who were touched by this area and built their whole career on an image that they saw here. So like Ed Ruscha, um, a mm -hmm. pop artist out of California, but he would travel on Route 66 and he saw one of our Standard Oil stations that became the basis of his entire series on the Standard Oil stations and um, you know gas stations across the West. So what my argument is, I'm always interested in how this area imprints, it gets in your blood or imprints itself on these people who might have spent you know, a few sessions here or a year here, or you don't have to live here your whole life to really be affected by this area. So that's one of the things I'm really interested in. So our argument basically is that 
you got to open up modern and contemporary art beyond the coasts. You have to look at middle America. You yeah. have to look yeah. at the transcontinental U.S. to really get the picture. And you've got to look at the panhandle. You've got to look at that panhandle. panhandle. Yeah, All put right. it on so, your radar. <laughs> yeah. So, Dr. Windler, we are winding up the semester. Um, do you have Christmas plans? Well, we don't have any firm plans right now, which is typically the case around Christmas, but it will be spent quietly. It will be spent um, reflectively. Uh, Mary and I and our families reflect on our faith uh, uh, and in that season very deeply. And uh, I imagine at least one of the families will come, maybe both. So yeah. we'll be here on campus and it's very quiet. Don't, don't you agree with me that, that Christmas time is a great time to visit the campus? Yes, I do. I just said quiet. And that's one of the things that's nice about it is it is um, it's largely unpopulated. I mean, it's just quiet. And as an architect, for me, I get a chance to see the campus and its structure and form and so on from the buildings and the trees and the landscape and everything. And it's uh, I, I, I find it to be a very nice time and much different than the summer or spring. It's just a much different place. And it's one of the beauties of the Panhandle. There are four seasons here. And yeah. our campus shines in every one of them. Yeah, and uh, we want all of our listeners to know that the campus is always open to visitors. So anytime anyone wants to come see us, we would welcome them. That's absolutely correct. And if they call early enough and they're going to be, maybe their travel plans bring them through town. This is West Texas A&M University. If their travel plans bring them through town on December 29th, my guess is we can find somebody to meet them and talk with them even on December 29th. Yeah, I agree. Well, I want to thank you both for being with me today. Dr. Von Lentil, thank you for that very interesting uh, reflection on George O'Keefe and what you're doing for all of our students on campus. Thank you for what you do. Yeah. Dr. Windler, I'm excited about next time. Our next uh, podcast, we're going to ask a student to come in here and talk to us, and uh, we'll get some reflections of what they think the semester is like. That's great. Sounds good to me, man. Yeah. Well, again, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Thank you for joining Reflections from WT, the heart and soul of the Texas Panhandle. Please join us again next time. We'll see you then.